You are listening to Satisfied. This is Nick Jackson, pastor of Timberline Baptist Church in Lacey, Washington. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> this is Bobby Gaither. We just practiced that like we just a couple times. <laughs> this is Bobby Gaither, pastor of Hope Fellowship in Hillsboro, Oregon. And today we are in Hillsboro. We are. It is 942 at night. So this is going to be rich. This is going to be some wonderful thinking on our behalf. Mm. And I want you to know, like, (laughs) I came over to Bobby's house tonight. Um, I had potatoes and green beans, salmon, ribs, uh, brats, chips. Like, it was the whole nine yards. Like, it was pretty amazing. That's how we eat every night, man. No, that was a mixture of leftovers. Dude, it was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> and some brats on the grill. So like I was I was so hungry driving on the way over here. And I was like, oh, I just hope they wait for me. And I was thinking about texting. I was like, man, maybe oh, we they'll got you wait. Covered. So we got you covered. Yeah. No, it was good. Well, hey, the topic of tonight is total depravity. Dun dun dun. dun we're back into Calvinism. That's right. Here we go. Um, yeah, and so we left off with uh, the last podcast. Why Calvinism? And then we skipped a week. We skipped a week because of anticipation. It was well yes. planned. We were raising the bar of mm-hmm. anticipation mm-hmm. for everyone. So all of you have been checking yes. weekly. Daily, da- hourly. Probably hourly. hourly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the three people. <laughs> <laughs> my mom, your mom. Yeah, my sister. Okay. There you go. That's cool. Um, all right. So my mom really likes us, just so you know. That's great, man. Yeah, she's cool. That's, she's hip. That, that is pretty hip. Um, so we're in total depravity, and so we are in the doctrines of grace. That's another way in which they're known. And just real quick recap, uh, the doctrines of grace, uh, they're called Calvinism. Um, it's not that Calvin started them or anything. In fact, Calvin was dead long before them. Uh, it's just that um, Jacob Arminius, he had many followers. After he died, he had followers that brought up five points against the ch- or, uh, regarding the church on salvation. And so uh, the Synod of Dort was put together. And after about, I forget how many months, but a hundred and something meetings, they met and they responded to the um, Arminian position with what has now become known as the Canons of Dort. And these five points largely became known as Calvinism uh, simply because Calvin had put forth so much uh, doctrinal, uh, uh, how would you say? Just well, he, he wrote the Institutes. He preached. I mean, he, he sufficiently preached on uh, expositing the Scriptures in a way that laid out these doctrines. No, he, right. Though he didn't canonize them, so to speak. like he, And he, he would roll over in his grave if he knew there was a whole movement named after him because he was a very humble person yeah. who loved the Word of God. Uh, but as these are put forth, the, the canons of Dort got put forth after over a hundred meetings of wrestling with what the Arminians were saying and then responding with, no, we, we don't believe that, and then putting forth these five points. And really, TULIP didn't come about uh, until either the 19th century or the 20th century, somewhere in there. And, of course, that's when acronyms became cool, and I think Baptists pretty much you know, jumped all Baptists over acronyms. Baptists do that. We do three because, points. And- well, I mean, we, if, it doesn't like, if it's not an acronym, it's probably not worthy of being preached. Hey, I just want... <laughs> 
I just want to say I love how you turn your hat backwards once we started the podcast. Uh, it's because like, it's game it time. It went game time. It's really, game I time like now. Rally cap all the way. Yes. Hat turned backwards. We're ready to time do to this. Go. Uh, so uh, we're so what are start. we doing today? So we have, let's just go through them. Um, Tulip is total yep. depravity, mm-hmm. um, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Uh, we're just going to go in order. This yeah. isn't necessarily the order that Canons of Dort responded in. In fact, it's not the order that they did, but we're sticking with the acronym. So we're going to go with to total depravity. And how we want to do this? You want me to just kind of briefly say what the position of the Arminian is and then what the position of the Calvinist would sure. be? Sure, and then we'll just chat. And then we'll just kind of dive into it? Let's do it. All right, so the, uh, the Arminian position would say, although the human nature was seriously affected by the fall, man has not been left in a state of total spiritual helplessness. God graciously enables every sinner to repent and believe, but he does so in such a manner as not to interfere with man's freedom. Each sinner possesses a free will, and his eternal destiny depends on how he uses it. So man's freedom consists of his ability to choose good over evil in spiritual matters. He's not enslaved to a sinful nature. In fact, they would say we cooperate with the spirit uh, to be regenerated. They would say that uh, we believe in God and then we are regenerated. So our faith, our belief precedes our regeneration, the being made new and, and made alive in Christ through the power of the spirit. Uh, they say comes after the fact that we believe. Uh, so, so that's their position. So we should probably, because you wrote this out really well. Thank but, you. But you also uh, noted who, where you got it. We should probably note that. So yeah, in all these resources, I'll put several books. Uh, we'll put several books up on the website. Uh, the five points of Calvinism defined, defended, and documented uh, by Steele, Thomas, and Quinn. Uh, a really just good, helpful book that uh, really lays out, especially in the beginning, both positions in a very unbiased way, just stating exactly what they believe. Uh, you want to do the reform position? Sure, I'll do the reform so position. So this is what Calvinists would say. Okay. Because of the fall, man is unable of himself to... Rightly? I think I... I, Yeah. I would say probably rightly believe... I think that's a spell check. That might be. Siri let you down on that one. Rightly believe the gospel. The sinner is dead, blind and deaf to the things of God. His heart is deceitful and desperately corrupt. His will is not free. It is in bondage to his evil nature. Therefore, he will not, indeed, he cannot choose good over evil in the spiritual Wrong, which we need to define that. Consequently, it takes much more than the Spirit's assistance to bring a sinner to Christ. It takes regeneration, by which the Spirit makes the sinner alive and gives him a new nature. So faith is not something man contributes to salvation, but is itself part of God's gift of salvation. It is God's gift to the sinner, not the sinner's gift to God. So, so the crux of the matter is how... Has sin affected us? Are we merely weak? Um, are, are we sick? Or are we spiritually dead? Yeah. Um, am, I, am I the ultimate cause of my salvation? Is, am I saved because I choose or because God has, has chosen me and, and brought me to him? Um, Kevin DeYoung, 
Uh, I, I want to go ahead and do this one because I really enjoyed. Uh, I just recently read his book, Grace Defined and Defended. And in that book, he uses a illustration, which I thought was really helpful. He said, imagine a dad promises his son on his 18th birthday, hey, when you turn 18, I'm going to give you a sports car. And he goes, picks out this red, shiny, beautiful sports car, and he brings it to him. He says, do you want this? Will you accept this? And so he, he has provided it. The father is willing, but the, the ultimate decision is, will the son take the keys of the car? Will he, will he possess ownership of it? Um, and so that's, that's, one way, uh, that, that's one way to look at a well, gift given to us. And then the other way is imagine that you're in... You got something? Well, I was going to say... Go ahead. You, you should probably be clear on... Are you going to be clear on what picture that is? But I want to do it at the end. Okay, fine. Don't rush me. Sorry, man. Oh, man. Okay. Bobby, Bobby always wants clarification, which is good. Clarity. Now you just blew up my whole illustration. No, keep going. Oh, right. sorry. Go ahead. So we got the sports car. Will you accept it? It's what? been given to you. Analogy the one, father is car. willing to give you this gift. Or, or another view of a gift is you are on a hospital bed and you are dead. You've just been declared dead. You've flatlined. And, but yet someone gives you their blood, begins pumping your heart. New life comes into you, and you are made alive. And so that is another gift. That is a gift that is given to you, that is infused to you. Not that you really had a choice, but that was given to you, made you alive, made you awake. Uh, and so those are two ways to look at gift. Um, one is the fact that you choose it. The one is it is infused to you. Now, the Arminian would say, well, we, we choose God. That is, that is how we are saved. The Calvinist would say, no, we are spiritually dead. The only way that we are made alive is like the person on the hospital bed is, is life is given to us. It is infused to us, and thus we are made alive. And so what it really comes down to is, is how are we saved? Is it because I chose God or did God choose me? Do, is, am I, to use the word, do I boast that I have, that I have chosen God or am I boasting in the cross that God by his grace has, has saved me? So that's kind of the position that we're looking at. And, and that's kind of, those are the two primary positions is, is did we choose God or did did God save us and thus we have that's well, why we're and, alive. And Arminian brothers would still say God saved us, but they would say he saved us as we chose into him. So yes, there but, are um but but the question really is how dead is dead as well, right? I mean isn't isn't that part of it? Like how dead are we? It really comes down to how do we understand sin? Um, does the Bible talk as if we are simply sick, weak, hindered by sin? Are we still image-bearing people but uh, handicapped in a sense, um, and we just need a boost? Mm-hmm. Or uh, are we totally, well, the doctor, are we totally depraved? Um, are we unable to choose uh, that which is righteous, that which honors God? Uh, so that's really kind of, uh, those are the debate. That's the debate here. And there are, um, 
good brothers and sisters who would uh, talk about the Armenian position and hold true to that. And there are good brothers and sisters that would talk to reform position. And one thing we have said before this is we are talking about salvation. Um, yeah. But you do not necessarily have to be a Calvinist to be saved or an Arminian to be saved. It's not one it's not that you have to be one and not the other. Uh, in fact, most people who are Calvinists may not have been Calvinists when they got saved or at least understood all the doctrines. So we are talking about matters of salvation. They are of the utmost importance, but these do not necessarily determine your salvation uh, as you're coming to faith and your understanding of them. Yeah, our, our understanding of how God works often comes after Definitely. his work Definitely. in us. So he works in us, draws us to himself, and then that's what the rest of our life on earth and even eternity is going to be, like yeah. learning, okay, learning about his character, learning how, how what he did. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, of course, we know the gospel. We, we know salvation on the cross, but really learning his character and, and even more so. I think that's what Ephesians 2, 7 talks about, is that for all of eternity, God will lavish his grace upon us through Jesus Christ. So for all of eternity, we're going to be growing in the joy of God through Jesus. I mean, God is infinite, so we're going to continually grow in that knowledge. Um, And so, but while we say that you might not understand either position as you come to faith, that's not to say that these positions do not matter. Um, As you are in your faith, and as a Christian, I believe that these doctrines greatly matter in your understanding of God, in your understanding of of humanity, of how we depend upon God, on how we trust in Him, on how we pray to Him, on how we evangelize. These doctrines truly affect just about every aspect of Christianity, and, and where you land on this, really, which is whether Arminian or Calvinism, will greatly affect the way you view Scripture uh, and how you live out the Christian life. So while, you, while I don't want to say there are primary issues in the sense of you cannot be saved without understanding them, uh, because I don't think many do in the very beginning, I do not well, want to under, understate the importance of them. Well, and I would say it's it's one of those things where I mean we we all want to be consistent. Really, the aim the aim as you as you press into theology is you're trying to be consistent with the word. Yeah. So so having a bigger picture of understanding um, how the word fits together because God is not inconsistent. He's a consistent God, and so so having that understanding of okay soteriology. Right, the the theology of, of our salvation, understanding that a consistent God is going to be consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right, He's going to be the same God. He is the same God, the same God that was gracious and merciful. That that we see in Jesus was the same God that announced Himself as gracious and merciful yeah. to Moses. Right, and so so how do we look at the Scripture? Why is this important? Why are we talking about the nature of did God choose us or did we choose him and what does that look like and uh, is it affects our whole view and our whole understanding of being consistent in how we look at scripture Old Testament New Testament and to what end right and I think I I really think it goes down to glory also yes Um, 
the reform position is determined to see that God receives all glory. I mean, it, it positions itself, and I, I would say rightly so, around the word in a way that God is glorified in all times, in all places, in all yeah. situations. And so the, the, the way the Calvinistic position views salvation is that God receives the glory in our being saved, and in our staying saved, in every aspect, the determining factor is God, so not ourselves. So I think I think part of just I'm thinking through my journey here. I needed to be convinced of how dead I was. Yes, like how dead is yeah. dead? How how depraved is total depravity? And what is total depravity? I mean, does that mean I'm everything I do, everything anyone ever does is totally wicked? Uh, are we as bad as we possibly could be? Um, am I jumping a ahead here? Um, no, you're good, uh, man. I, I think of. I don't know. I'm just thinking from the. Did we have a an outline of this? No, uh, <laughs> semi. I mean, you, you, we had some things we here. Have where notes. We had notes. Talking points. Notes but, is always good. But but I think we really need. I mean, we have depravity defined, right? Depravity from the Latin word crooked simply means that God's design for humanity has been twisted in the wrong direction. Right. right? Now, so go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. I mean, well, the word total, it often causes people to think that that we're saying that man can be as evil as he can be. But that's not what we mean. Uh, The word total refers to the extent of our depravity. It means that we are spiritually dead and that sin has affected every single part of our nature. So we would say that we are as free as our nature, uh, free as our nature is. Because our nature is sinful, we freely choose that which is sinful. We choose that which does not glorify God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do good things. We'll still see sinners walk uh, the little old lady across the street, but it's not done for the glory of God. Yeah, and, um, I, and I think... So, well, and, and that's what part, part, part of what we need to define is what is a good act, right? And what is what is just a moral act, a, a, a human moral act? Because you can have a very moral person live a moral life and yet not glorify God, and because they don't glorify God, in that they that is sin. I mean, yeah, that's Romans one, Romans two, right? right? Anything that doesn't acknowledge the greatest value that there possibly is, which is God, yeah. the, the, the giver and the creator of life. Uh, I can do all sorts of good things that are seen as good by the world around me, but all that goodness that they see is going to point to, to me. me. It's going to point to me. Right. Uh, if, if, and, and this is part of also why I mean, Jesus' instruction is, let them see your good works so that... They'll glorify God. So, exactly. so he is, God is jealous for his glory. And I know this is, you know, the whole glory issue is going to pervade our conversation today. It well, has it's to. It's going to pervade, I think, over it, the next it, five it, as it we is. go through Tulip. It yeah. is. It is. And, and hopefully even into beyond because, yeah. because I mean. Well, what, it's really what satisfying Christ is. Yeah. We're talking about we are satisfied as we behold the glory of God, which is mm-hmm. Jesus. That's right. Um, so so in, in total depravity, what are we saying? I, I see. I've heard it redefined as radical depravity, meaning we yeah. are we are de- to the root. Yeah. Every every core, every piece of our being, every piece of our person, as we're born, is is deprived is deprived of goodness of 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 of, of God. Why? Because we we're born in sin, and God, who is holy and who is perfect. Yeah. 
must be separ- separated from sinful man. Let me read just a couple passages, like Ephesians 2. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins you you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we're spiritually dead. We're children of wrath. We follow the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan. Well, in all of John, right, Jesus talks about, uh, in, in the book of John especially, you see uh, uh, that the world was in darkness. Well, John I mean, eight forty four says, you are the father, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Yeah, and, and no, he's speaking to the Pharisees there, Pharisees and Sadducees. But still, that would be to but people apart from being regenerated and, by the Spirit. Yes, and I was going to say, and people who, uh, according to the world, would look as morally good as they possibly could. Yes, that's a really good point. So yeah. here you have these morally good people whom Jesus, the Son of God, is saying that you are of your father, the devil. Romans 8 says, for the mind, for, Romans 8, 7, 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It can't. It can't. Now, that's a big, it cannot. It can't. Those who are the flesh so, Cannot please God, so, so that's is, utter and so that's that goes to the doctrine of complete inability. Now that's a that's maybe a different conversation, but that's wrapped up in the into the depravity conversation, right? right there. That that's explaining and fleshing out what it what, what it is to have to be affected by sin. Yeah. Um, Titus one fifteen to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, so those who do not yet know Jesus. Yeah. Nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. First um, John five nineteen. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I mean, the Bible from beginning to end talks about our bondage yeah. uh, to sin. Um, the fact that Satan is is in a sense the the, the ruler of this world. Yeah. Um, well, and, and to think of First uh, Peter two nine, right? And he's talking to people, but you are a chosen race. This is the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. All of that just, I mean, it just resounds with Exodus, right? With God choosing the people of Israel. And now he's talking to a new set of people, right? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. And what did he do? Of him who called you out of darkness. Yeah. Like we were in darkness, and so to flesh it, I think, I really think that Paul coming to Christ is one of the most beautiful pictures um, that really helps me understand total depravity and how we're saved. Because you have Paul, uh, was it Acts 9? He's on a horse with a band of brothers going to go kill and imprison Christians. That's the intent. He is determined to kill, to destroy the church of Christ. He has no love, no desire for the church. And yet then on that Damascus road, Jesus shines a light upon him, awakens him, changes him. Now, Paul is determined to hate Jesus. And then at that time, Jesus awakens him so that then he begins planting churches. Well, All of a sudden, he begins to love that which is Christ. And here's the thing is, Paul had to ask who, he, who this light was. Exactly. Like, it, he literally fell off his high horse, right? Yeah. And, and 
Jesus said, Paul, Paul, or should I say Saul, Saul, yeah. why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? Yeah. And then he calls him Lord. Yeah. It's like, well, who else is going to show up in shining white and knock me off my horse and tell me that I'm persecuting you? Yeah. But and that, That's always been so helpful for me, that picture of Paul, because for anyone to say, no, I mean, I'm, I'm choosing God, the determining factor is that I choose God. I'm like, Paul didn't want God. Well, Paul, or Paul didn't want Jesus. He was totally against yeah. Jesus, yeah. hated Jesus, and then the road, Damascus Road, where the light comes, the transformation comes, what turns him inside out? Is it all of a sudden Paul goes, you know what? I've been wrong. Uh, I'm now going to believe. Um, or is it that he's been made alive by the very grace of God? Has God's, yeah. the, the spirit regenerated him? That, wi- that which he once saw as utterly abhorrent, Despicable. Jesus, yeah. now he sees as beautiful and desirous. Well, and, he, and you know, I love the Paul example because I, I look back and I can, I can, I can see in my own life how God has shaped and formed me in ways, and it wasn't as, like, there's very few people who have as drastic a testimony as Paul. Totally. But the truth is there are some who do. Uh, We're seeing that with a lot of the Muslim brothers who are converted to Christianity, or even the Israeli brothers who are converted to uh, Jesus as their Messiah uh, through visions or other things that are, like, this is... you know, for, for Baptists to talk about, it's almost, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> but can, can we talk about can, dreams? Can we say that? Can, can, can we do that? Can, can we, we go do there? that? I'm in a Baptist Maybe not right today. Now. I don't yeah, know. Which I need approval from no, my I probably elders. need to repent now. Um, yeah. But uh, for most people, especially in, in, in our Western culture, that transition, should I say, the, their conversion isn't as stark. And so what they do, or what, and what I think many are, many do, is they point it at Paul and say, well, that's the exception, not the rule. So does God work differently for different people? Uh, he might draw them differently, but is God going to act upon Paul's but will? But is he the one who draws? He has to be, yeah. because he says he is, right? But... Is is Paul is is God going to act upon Paul's will and no one else's? Yeah, uh, you, you know, I, those are some of the questions I had to begin. I, I, I mean, I remember wrestling with that yeah. and having that put in front of me and thinking, no, I I chose God. I did this and did that, and 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 honestly, the more it really began with my depravity. So it began me understanding yeah. this is how depraved I am. Well, and I think when you're walking through like the Book of Judges. Or, or even, you know, as you end through Joshua and you get to Judges, and you just see how those, uh, those people who have been saved by God's grace, who had seen the mighty works of the Exodus, and then they totally just reject God. And by the end of Judges, I mean, they're cutting up a prostitute, yeah. um, FedExing her around Israel. And, I mean, they're, they're killing tribes at that moment. Yeah. Uh, if you go back to even the Exodus, when Egypt comes out, or Israel comes out of Egypt, and all of a sudden they're praising God. You got Exodus 15, this amazing, like, praise to God for how at the blast of his nostrils he destroyed the Egyptians. 
And then it's like and then in four 16 chapters or later. 17, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're grumbling saying, man, this God, he's not providing for us. We should have stayed. And it's just like we have this picture of depravity over and yeah. over and over again throughout the Old Testament on, man, apart from God, yeah. we sin. In fact, we run to our sin. We love our sin. Uh, it's a scary We're, picture when you begin to think that's who we are. None of us desire God, at least the way God is presented in the Bible. We all want yeah. to create our own little gods or, or make God in our image. Well, and yeah, we look at Romans 3, right? And Paul quotes that passage out of want, Psalm 14. Psalm 14. You know, no one seeks after God, no, not one. And, and you know, I, I remember reading that when I was younger, thinking, yeah, no one seeks after God, and I'm pointing the <laughs> finger at <laughs> totally. everybody else. And and I'm not realizing that, no, on a daily basis, my mind and my heart, my, the, the depraved part of me, right, uh, uh, is so easily distracted and yeah. and runs towards, I mean, I can be tempted by sin. You know, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Like, like I just want to read some of that Romans 3 uh, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. I mean, it just goes on and on. It says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, when it says none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. What does no one mean? There, there's got to be an exception clause there. There's an asterisk. But you know, I do think I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right, and I think I think we often look at others and we go, "Man, they are sinful. This is who they yeah. are," and we yet we do see ourselves always in some type of golden light. But I think that's what understanding total depravity helps to put us in a position of humility yeah, that we does. realize our total need for God's grace. And so before we go on, I do want to state, as, as, as Calvinists, we believe that we need to be saved by God's grace. Now, Arminians do not deny God's grace for salvation. Um, Arminians believe in a thing called prevenient grace. Uh, prevenient grace is, is a grace that says God comes alongside of us. Uh, prevenient grace is basically, it makes salvation possible um, but it does not affect it for anyone. Yeah. Uh, so I think I was, I was sharing with you a little bit earlier, if a prevenient grace would say that um, God has opened up all the jail cells, we're, we're all in jail because of our sin, and prevenient grace has opened up all the jail cells, and now it's up to us to walk out. So the only reason we can walk out is because of God's grace. He has opened up the, the doors for us to walk out, but the question is, is will we choose him? It goes yeah. back to like that sports car. Will we, will we take the sports car? Will we accept it? Will we, by our volition, want God? Well, and what depravity would say is, total depravity is, the, the thing is, is we view ourselves as the victims in the jail cell that, you know, would want to be rescued or would want to leave when really we're more, we're more like Golem and we have our ring in there. You know, my precious. Yeah, I think yeah, total <laughs> depravity would say we 
love our jail cell. Yes. We have no desire to go out of our jail cell because we love our sin, yeah. because we're not righteous. We do not see God as glorious. In fact, we reject him. Romans 5 talks about how we are his enemies. We're hostile to God. Uh, well, how about John 3? I mean, just... Just yeah. yeah, we hate the light. We, we run hate from the, the light. light. Yeah, that's a really we, we good one. We hate the light. I mean, uh, Jesus said, I, I didn't come in, into the world to condemn the world. The world's condemned already. Yeah. Why? Because they hate the light. You, yeah. I mean, you just got to keep reading. John 3, 16. So if, if the light is outside the jail verses. cell, we have absolutely we flee from no it. desire to go out there. So the only way we're going to go out is because God has done a work and a change in our hearts and so uh, we, we, were, we recently, both of us, read a book uh, by a guy. What's his first name? Metters. Uh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Jeff. <laughs> I love the name Jeff. Uh, Jeffrey Metters. He wrote a book called Humble Calvinism. If you have not read anything on Calvinism, that's probably the book I would that's start with. That's a great with. one to start with. Yeah. Uh, he does so with a very pastoral heart, but he does so... Not with trying to necessarily state the case between Calvinism and Arminianism, but what he does is he shows really the beauty of Calvinism and how it humbles us and how it moves us to worship God. And I think that's that's one thing from that book. And then just as we've been planning this podcast, I mean, I've just been like sitting in these doctrines and reading and pod, and yeah. thinking about listening to podcasts. And going back over my total depravity, like I need God's grace. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I want God's grace. And the fact that he's given it to me, that I would be alive, that I would love him, that's humbling. Yeah. Like we were dead. Like it, it actually tells us how to love. Like he loved us when we didn't love him. In fact, when we didn't want him, that's when Jesus loved us. Total depravity informs us how to love for one, how to have love for each other. Well, and I love what what Metters does in that he takes after every chapter. Um, he takes that doctrine and shows us that it's not the doctrine; it's it's who the who of the doctrine that we're praising. I mean, we're praising Jesus, yeah, because. In our depravity, we would choose nothing of him and everything, nothing of life and everything that would lead us to death and, and just showed how glorious Jesus is in light of our depravity. Yeah. And, and it has to lead us to worship. I mean, all, all our doctrine, our doctrine is worthless if it doesn't lead us to see the beauty, the glory, the wonder, the majesty, the, and, and yeah. just to praise who Jesus is. Well, it's it's like Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like Metters did a really good job with that, where it was definitely kind of a, a different just way to, to state the doctrines while he still walked through them and the beauty of them, but he really did show how they just lead to worship yeah. Um and I loved it. I love just what it Calvinism does. And again, Calvin would roll over in his grave if he knew that there was a doctrine named after him because he was humble. He he was a pastor. He was shepherding people. Well, and his aim was just to preach the Bible. He did, yeah, that was his aim. 
And he just brought forth the doctrines of God's word and tried to state them clearly. But I think what, what we see as we begin to look at these is how it humbles us. It shows us our yeah. need for God, how it shows us our yeah. need for the cross. Well, and, and you know, I knew we are going to get to the cage stage Calvinism at some point, <laughs> uh, right? But it, but it really, uh, if, if you really understand total depravity, yeah. then, then you know you cannot boast in anything save the cross. Well, th- isn't like that, that what Paul, Paul Galatians 6, 14, yeah, what is it? But may it never be that I boast except in the except cross in of the our cross. Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. which I've been s- saved and cr- or crucified mm-hmm. uh, to the world. Never boast except anything yeah. in the cross. Yeah. Well, and, and if you understand your depravity, you can't boast in anything but yeah. the cross. I mean, here's really... And, and, really and, and to push back, this is where I would say, and I was listening to some Piper earlier, uh, and Jay Pip, you know, he, he's got good things to say. You know, did I tell you I hugged Jay Pip one time? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Did, did I are not we, tell are we you going that? there? <laughs> oh, so my I mean, and now I know that there are some probably people listening to this going, "Yep, that that's a Calvinist. They love J Pip." Uh, By the way, J Pip is short for John Piper. If, please, everybody knows that. Not everybody. Look, knows I can that. say it because I'm like homeboys with him. Only like, the J Pip and I, I. He's on my speed dial. <laughs> I think he's like rejected my number, and it's like on his like no call list. Oh, but. Gosh. Uh, but um, I, I remember, man, going there and seeing him one time. But God has just used him so much to, I think, also just point out the doctrines of God's word and to do so with clarity. But I was listening to him earlier, and man, he pressed on the richness of knowing God through this Calvinistic bend, which I would say is, is, the, is the perspective of Scripture. And showing that, man, when we're looking at Christ this way, we're looking at him as glorious, as all-powerful, as sovereign over everything, and yes, over our free will, because yes, I want him to invade my free will. Many people will say, well, God can't invade our free will. We are damned if he doesn't. I mean, that is the condition that we are in. If he does not awaken us by his grace, we will not choose him. And so my prayer, my desire is is for him to awaken people. I want him. I'm glad he invaded my free will. And I want him to invade every single other person so that he would awaken us to see him. Because it truly is about his glory and his grace. Well, and, and here's what we have to be careful with. I mean... Are we robots? No. Were, was our will really free? According to the nature that it was. Yes. And I think that, and, that's, that, and that needs to be understood. So, so let's help them. Let's unpack that a little bit because uh, what was our nature? If we are sinful and dead in our sins and, and what we see hostile to God, enemies of God, Uh, Romans 8, we cannot please God. Romans 3, we do not seek God. We are not righteous. Therefore, the inclination of our heart would be to sin. It would the inclination of our heart is is evil all the time. I mean, which even we can be very morally good people. You can. And yet, if it's not done for the glory of God, we're doing it for our if, glory. If we're not, and, and that's what I think hard for um, 
modern Westerners, even Western, even Christians in the church, for them to yeah. understand that being good, but, but what we're saying in total depravity is, is not that you go home and beat your wife. Right. Or or you're or you're you know um, sexually promiscuous or you're this or that. That's that's it's not that everyone's doing. You might be that. president at the Rotary you, Club. You could be. You might as moral as you possibly could. Eagle Scout. You, but but here's the thing, if if you're not living in accordance to and within faith in Jesus, uh, righteously before God, glorifying Him then all of your good works are filthy rags. Yeah. And you, you see that in the Old Testament, and you see that no one is justified by works. Right. Not Abraham wasn't justified by works. And you just look at the... Uh, here's, here's what stuck out to me, um, uh, and which was a saving grace to me, because I, I saw my total depravity. Yeah. Like, I saw it, and it, it almost ruined me. But in a good way, yeah. Because it made me realize, that, man, I can't do this. I can't. I don't have enough within me to make myself good before God, right? But, but as you look at Scripture, God loves and makes covenant with, and chooses and redeems and restores dirty, rotten sinners. Yeah, all the time. But he does it. I mean, that, that's the story of Abraham. That's the story of Isaac. That's the story of Moses. That's the story of Noah. That's the story of every single person every in the Bible single and in history. Person. Like there is, there is not one. I, I don't know if there's anything written bad about Enoch. Yeah. Uh, he's the only one that I could say uh, that, you know, I, he, he doesn't really have a black mark on his. Well, that's uh, just because we don't know him enough. That's just, we just don't know him. Right. But, but totally, you know, and and it is. It's it's the testament of Scripture that we need God's grace, not God's grace to make salvation available, but for Him to effect it within us. And and I just want to take a moment and let me let me draw out a little bit of application on this. So where does total depravity like let's let's play this out? We know that in order for a sinner to be saved, God's grace must awaken him. Okay, not, not make it possible, but to awaken him, to draw him. So when, when I have a neighbor across the street, how do I pray? I want to pray like a Calvinist. I want to pray like a Calvinist. I mean, the flip side would be, my prayer is, God, I want you to save them, but I know you can't interfere with their free will. So, God, I, I pray that they choose you. I pray. Like, that is the logical flow. I hope, I I hope, hope. that they choose I you. But, but the Calvinist position is truly, God, I need you to awaken them. God, yeah. invade their life. God, as I share the gospel with them, I pray that your grace comes upon them. Your spirit regenerates their heart yeah. and their soul, that you give them eyes to see you, that you become beautiful to them, that you give their spiritual corpse life, that they go from zombie to, to child of God. I mean, that is the way that we pray, and that is where we have hope. Because if, if, I'm, if my hope is on a guy's... Uh, you know, volition mm -hmm. or on his logical ability to choose God, what hope do I have? 
But if my hope is in the sovereign God to affect his will on sinful beings, man, I have hope. Well, I have a lot of hope, and I can confidently pray for God to work and to move into my children's life, my family's life, my neighbor's life. I just got back, and we'll probably talk later about India and Thailand. I just got back from there, and man, we need God to work and to awaken yeah, people. Yeah. Well, and I would say there's many people who wouldn't say that they're Calvinists who probably believe and in, in, in would hold to their own free will in the yeah. sense of salvation, and yet they pray like a Calvinist, they would pray, God, put people in front of them. Yeah. God, draw them to you. That's, that is Calvinistic doctrine. That's, that's God's sovereignty and salvation. God, he draws people to himself. Yeah. That's what he does. And that's, that's what John 6 says. Uh, that's, that's what we read in John 10. Uh, Jesus really put forth... A doctrine that all whom the Father gives me will come to me. Right. I mean that that was his not statement in in, in the and book all of that John. He and calls all, will come. And all yeah. that he calls will come. And and he, and he even prays in John seventeen. You know, we're irresistible grace is going to be our next topic, and maybe we should save some of that for this um, unconditional election. That's what I meant. You got to spell um, tulip the right way. Uh, you know what? It's I'm, not tulip in the. I'm uh, a creative speller. Pigs I'm, I'm creative. Why are you so restricted? I'm by sorry. I know the this legalism these. I'm yes. bringing. I <laughs> uh, love it. Um, but, but back to depravity, and and here's here were, here's the application I'd throw out. When you understand your depravity, you realize, and you have grace. You realize that it's only by the grace of God that you've that your eyes have been opened, and you come to have grace and love for people, people for whom maybe before you judged. And, and to, to explain that, it's not the grace of God that simply makes available. It's no. the grace of God it's that invades grace that, your yes. life, that brings about life in you and draws you see, to him so that you see him. Now new. you're talking about my eye that I just, you just. Sorry. Yeah. Yep, go for see, it. But, but when you understand that you're totally unable to yeah. do your, for yourself what you know to be right. I mean, look, you and I, like, as believers, we we know what God's righteous law is, and yet we can't even keep it. I mean, we can by the Spirit, but man, there's days that we look and we back we look back and say, "Failed, failed, yeah. failed, failed." Total depravity helps us understand not only that that's our beginning lot in life, but that's everyone else's, and it necessitates grace. Yeah. What what is it in in Genesis six, uh, when God describes humanity, it says their uh, thoughts of their heart are evil and wicked. At was all it times. What, what like only evil only. continuously? Yes. Like it's some really redundant way to basically say all we do is evil and sin, and that's what we do all the time. It's almost funny in the redundancy of it, but yet I do love that passage, like Galatians six or Ephesians. Ah, I can't even speak. Genesis, like 6, 5, 6, 6, 7, 8, 9, somewhere in there. Uh, somewhere in the Bible. Somewhere in the Between book of Genesis. Six and, Apparently, yeah. I have no idea where. But what it does is it, I think it, it's this beautiful picture, or, or maybe I should say this horrific picture, yeah. of 
exactly who we are. Like all we do is sin continuously. And then if you want another picture of what that looks like, we go to Genesis 11, which I'm pretty sure I'm right there, the Tower of Babel, where we are rejecting God. We're going to make our own tower. We're going to rise and become our own gods. That's a picture of humanity. We do not want God. And yet I love that in Genesis 11. It's like God comes down. Yeah. So their tower that's going to go to the heavens, that's going to make themselves gods. And God's like, yeah, so I came down and changed their language. But the whole point is, man, we reject God. Yeah. Like we do not want God. And so what you're right, total depravity, it, it places us on this level of understanding. We're helpless. We're not just sick. We're not just wounded. We're not just hurt. We're not just needy. We're dead. We are yeah. dead and hopeless if Jesus doesn't do something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the first things that actually we communicate when we're sharing the gospel is this is the condition of who we are. Yeah. This is why we need a Savior. When we're trying to explain the cross to someone, like we, we didn't need a boost. Yeah. We didn't need a help. We didn't need that hand, you know, just reaching down from heaven. Hey, I'll help you. You help me, you know. But we needed someone to give us life. Well, and to apply it just a little bit more, this is why we should have patience with our neighbors. Yeah. We should have patience with our coworkers, our boss, whom whom, uh, whom would cast aspersions on us, uh, or people who for whom we are annoyed with, people for whom would hurt us, uh, um, family members, um, <laughs> our children. This is why we should have patience with our children when they're sinful. You know, they're, they're little sinners. That's what they are. Right? They're born in it. And why? Well, it's because they're born sinners, totally depraved. Yeah. And that's our state, too. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think Metters makes that point in his book about the patience. And it is beautiful. Like, when we understand this, like, we have to be patient because because we're we're communicating spiritual truths to those who are spiritually dead. And we're trusting that God works in them. We're not, we're not trying to convince them with logic necessarily. We're not trying to, no. to win them over with our eloquence. We need them to see the grace and the glory yeah. of God in Jesus. And that takes a while. I mean, it, it takes a while for you and me. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people come to Christ early. Some people come to Christ later. We must be patient. Yeah. I think we covered most of total depravity. Next will be, uh, what is it? Unconditional election. Look at you, T U L I P. I got it. All right. Um, I actually did have to say T. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny how sometimes we, yeah, it's just whatever. We mix them up. Um, I think actually limited atonement comes first, um, or unconditional election when they actually responded to them in the canons of Dort, but whatever. Well, and, and here's something we should probably say. We're all in process, or should I say, we, at one point, we're all in process. You know, I'm just thinking of, for me, I mean, I didn't become, I didn't understand and become okay with all five points at once. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it's as we grow in as the Word and we mature, we grow in our understanding. We, we grow in understanding, and... and there are, I think there are, there are Christians who wouldn't hold to where we're at that would say, yes, we're totally depraved. Now, that doesn't mean there's, they're completely consistent. We're going for consistency, right? Uh, 
Ah, don't yeah. Eat. Man, we need a video. So we need a video. I I think you're right. Do I need to edit? Do we need to edit that out? Nope. I think you know what I think. I think the whole point is <laughs> is is when no one no one starts off a Calvinist or an Arminian. You know, we start off by no, seeing Jesus, off. and seeing Jesus is the most important thing. Yeah. That we grow in our love for yep, Jesus. Yep, and yep. as we grow in our love for Jesus, we have to wrestle with these doctrines. Yeah. And and what we believe, we believe that the Reformed position, the Calvinistic position, is the most accurate to Scripture. And we believe it upholds the very glory of God. And we believe that it moves man to humility and to worship. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why we hold it. That's why we do it. Uh, but more than anything, because we do believe it, it aligns with Scripture. Yeah. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to invite people in to wrestle totally like wrestle with us through this don't say oh well this isn't me click totally and hang up it's think think through this because we'll you know and, and maybe what we do is we provide more scripture um just on the on the, the website as well yeah just, how about we do that, that we'll that throw, we'll throw out. on some extra scripture because there's on a the website we so when you go cover. check it out you'll, you'll see we'll put three or four books on there uh, we'll put, uh, we'll definitely put Metter's book at the top. Kevin DeYoung book was, Kevin DeYoung's book was really good because he wasn't arguing for Calvinism. He really, he really was showing the historicity of this is, this is what happened. This is what uh, Jacob Arminius is, the remonstrance, the followers uh, of Jacob Arminius put forth. And this is how Canons of Dort responded. And, and he just lays it out, explains it. And that's what you, so it's a really yeah. good historical, but very, very readable. Um, and it has a really good appendixes in it. Uh, very, very helpful. So we'll put that, a few others on there. Okay. Sounds good. You want to pray it up? Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I think we, <laughs> Lord, we just need you. Um, and, and as we're walking through, uh, just total depravity with with uh, the folks that are listening. Um, we ask that you would remind us all of our great need of you, uh, Lord. That that the mirror of sin, Lord, the mirror that that we look in uh, to see our own sin, Lord, that that it would just be covered by your cross, uh, by your blood, um, and 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 as we look at our great need of you, that we see a great salvation that was provided by you uh, that saved us, uh, that brought us to life, um, that redeemed us, that restored us, gave life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been looking. <laughs> You've been looking? been looking? I don't think anyone's looking at us. No. You've been listening to Satisfied in Christ.life. That is... L I F E. Please check out. Please check out the website. Uh, there's a resource page. Also, there's a comments page. We'd love to hear your comments. Anything that you would have to say, uh, questions about any positions or anything that we uh, talk about, or if there's something that we've not talked about and you'd like us to talk about, please send a message and we would love to cover that. This is Satisfied in Christ Life. <laughs>